Hello and welcome to My First Five Years podcast. I'm Jenny Johnson. And I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And we're early years experts and founders of My First Five Years, an activity and child development app for parents. We've made this podcast to give you some tips and tricks that'll help you in the early years so that hopefully you'll worry less and enjoy your young kids that little bit more. And we found through our own experience of six children between us that once you understand some of the science and research behind how children develop in the early years, it can really help you to relax and put some of the joy back into parenting. We've made this podcast to give you some tips and tricks that will really help you in the early years so that hopefully you can worry less and enjoy your young kids more. Jenny and I have grabbed ourselves a brew and maybe a chocolate biscuit. Yep. Just because we wanted to take a moment and look back with you on some of the things we've learned from the past six months. I can't believe how fast the time has gone, can you? No. But we hope that you have learned as much as we have from the topics that we've covered Mm. in the last 12 episodes. I've loved some of the special guests who've shared the ideas with us too. Yeah, and we've covered an awful lot. But in this episode, what we've done is we've picked out some of our favourites that we think you'll find most useful. So everything from travelling to going on holiday with your children, how children learn to walk, how you can manage the mental load, and all sorts of things you can do to help to parent in a sustainable way. The full episodes for all of these topics are available as well on our podcast feed. You just search for the topics that you're interested in, like walking, travelling or mental load. Which reminds us, do follow this podcast if you aren't already. And if you like what we talk about, and we really hope you do, then please think about leaving us a review or share an episode on one of your WhatsApp groups, because that really helps us to spread the word about the tips and advice that we're sharing at my first five years. And it is all realistic advice, isn't it? And that's what we love about our approach. It's not setting a standard that's impossible to follow. It's sharing ideas that hopefully really help you bring the joy back into parenting. So for the first one, I thought we'd delve back into the podcast that we did about travelling with kids. Is that the one where we talked a lot about being sick and... Sick in the car seat, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. (laughs) Yeah, as well as the grim side, though, there were quite a lot of practical tips about how to make some really nice memories. What you've got to remember is for an under five, they're not likely to have been on loads and loads of holidays, so it's not a really regular occurrence. Mm -hmm. And when they do go, it's been a long time since they were last there in their little world, even if it's not, even if it's only a matter of weeks. So for them, going on holiday can be really exciting because we tend to be excited about it and it means a change in routine and we talk about it a lot and there's lots of preparation that goes into it. Mm -hmm. But it also can be quite nerve-wracking and it can impact on things like their eating and their sleep. I remember particularly our eldest, who was a brilliant sleeper at home, was a terrible sleeper when we went on holiday. And it used to take him three or four days just to get into the swing of where we were, you know, the spaces that we were in and where he was going to sleep. So we'll talk about things you can do that don't lessen that excitement, but help to keep it in context. And also little hints and tips, even things like taking we used to take his when I say dirty bedding, I don't mean like filthy dirty, <laughs> but we used to take sheets off his bed when he was really young off his cot and take a used sheet with us or the one that we sleep on at the time Ah, so when you make the bed at the place where you're going Mm -hmm. or the travel cot it smells of them and it smells of home so little things where just that reassurance because they're in a different place they don't quite know where you are in terms of geography the routines are different so anything you can do to make it feel more like home around routines like sleep Mm -hmm. are really useful and usually really impactful I think as well that special teddy if they've got one or that special thing that they take to bed I know even at 21 my middle (laughs) child still brings what we call Mr Monk Monk (laughs) away 
<laughs> and I remember once we were going to Wales and we got about three or four miles down into the journey. She's like, I forgot a monk monk. And yeah. we actually went back. She was 21. <laughs> She'll kill me for sharing that story. But it is true. Yeah, we had a kangaroo called Joanne for my youngest child. And we're never quite sure where the kangaroo came from or why she was called Joanne. But Joanne <laughs> has travelled the world with nice. us. Yeah. So I think anything like that that brings that element of security. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can do is obviously to talk to children about the fact that you're going on holiday, especially if it's something like their first flight or you're going abroad or it's a long journey. The more you can talk about it and make it sound familiar as well as exciting is good, even down to playing aeroplanes where you line up the dining room chairs and you all sit on and somebody does the safety demonstration, talking to them about the fact that it's very noisy when it takes off, talking to them about the fact that the plane rattles a little bit and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And of course you'd couch all of that in parent-friendly language, but the more prepared they are for what's going to happen, yep. then the better adjusted they are to it happening. You're painting a picture there of a family that's really excited to go on holiday and everybody's all sort of smiley and happy about it. But I have to say, some of the reality is I always work full time. I've never got the washing done. So <laughs> it's a lot of stress. A lot of stress. I yeah. think there's a lot of stress involved yeah. anyway in going on holiday, even if there aren't children, because we were always packing on the last minute. Yeah. I get really crazy then about where are the passports and checking the passports numerous times in the taxi on the way there, numerous times in the airport. Yeah. I think I do go a little bit neurotic and the kids actually say to me now as two of my kids are adults they're like right mum if you're going on holiday can you just wind your neck in and just be calm (laughs) so I do think we sometimes pass our anxieties or our fears because the other thing I massively regret is I know for a fact I pass my fear of flying onto my children and that's such a shit I should have done better I should have known better and I think there are things that you know you painted this picture of these happy parents that can't wait to go on holiday but there will be some (laughs) but maybe I was the other extreme of holidays being something I loved once I got there but actually the lead up to packing and getting ready to go was quite a challenge yeah that's about how we organise ourselves as adults as well isn't it and not passing those anxieties on I think that's my my learning that I look back on yeah and when we're going to be realistic parents I think we've got to say that yes you know there, there will be some stress in terms of organizing a holiday and that's okay and also what you can use is, is that as an opportunity especially children a little bit older to talk to them about the fact that you are really busy and you've got lots on your job list and this sometimes makes you feel like this or makes you behave like this and be really truthful about it I remember my mother-in-law and I do love her dearly one saying to my wife and I when we had three children under five is what you need is to write down what you need and laminate it and then I could I would tick it off as I went along and it was a really helpful suggestion but not what we needed yeah. to hear at the time yeah Can't never gonna happen. I thought you should shove a laminate that's a whole different story it's accepting that there are challenges that will come around being an adult and organizing a holiday and I suppose you're dead right that some of that will leak out but mm-hmm. also You know what a holiday is, you know what a holiday means, the good bits and the stressful bits. For lots of children, they haven't got a concept of what a holiday is or what will happen. Mm -hmm. So the more we can articulate that in ways that they will understand, the more familiar they are with the exciting bits and the bits that are just practical, then the easier it might be when it comes to the actual event itself. Cool. Another episode that was literally packed full of tips Mm -hmm. and also for me, just some of those aha moments around that mental load was the special that we did with Mother Kind Zoe Blasky. 
Yeah, she really helped define what the mental load or mental labour is all about and gave some really useful advice on how you can better share that with a partner if you have one. And if not, how you can share that hopefully with your wider network. It also really helps us just understand what's going on in our brains so that you can work things out better and manage that parenting to-do list in a way that's more healthy and more sustainable. I really, really love that episode and it really got me reflecting on the things I do as well. When you've got younger children and basically they are relying on you to be the caregiver, the emotional support and all the other things, as well as, as you said, you know, often maintaining a relationship with a partner. And of course you go into those relationships as friends and lovers. You don't go into those relationships as parents. So, you know, you know who you are as a couple, but then suddenly this child comes along and changes all of that dynamic. So I think actually the mental load is probably greater when you've got younger children, because I think as parents, we just feel the weight of responsibility a lot more. Yeah, and just the logistics of school. And yes, <laughs> just ask any parent about the school WhatsApp group. And it is 90% <laughs> mothers, in my experience, in those school WhatsApp groups. It's yeah. changing, but, you know, that is it's huge. You know, just today, before, like you were saying, before 9am, I had to remember a new piece of kit that my seven-year-old needed. She needed a shoebox for DT. She needed this. And that's just... That's not even something that I would write down on a list. That's just, yeah, it's just the, in head. The, that's yeah. just in my head. And I'm just I'm just holding all of that. And I think that's why conversations about mental load are so important because the moment that we name something, as we've been talking about, it helps us to access more understanding about, about how hard that is. And I think it's it's also really important because we can't change something that we can't see. Yeah. So the moment that we can understand the impact that the mental load is having on us, that's when we can start to think about, okay, what what might I need to do to make this easier for me? And for a lot of the mothers that I work with, the first step is in making some of that visible because the problem with the mental load is that so much of it is invisible. My husband didn't know. We actually have a really equitable household, but for example, he didn't know that I was holding on to the memory that I needed to give my seven-year-old a shoebox. He doesn't remember yeah. that when that little girl comes round from the play date on the class that she's dairy-free. So I have to go and go to the shop and yeah. I have to get oat milk and I have to remember to get that in time for the play date before picking them up. And I have to remember to pick both the kids up and I have to remember that I need an extra car seat. So I need to put that in before that meeting. He doesn't see any of that. He just sees me walking in with oh, that's really nice, they're having a play date. Whereas actually there's been 25 cognitive little things that I've had to hold and remember and do. And that takes energy and that takes focus and that takes me away from from other things. So the moment that we start to make that visible, that's when we can start to have those conversations about sharing the load. It's really interesting that you talk about the equitable balance in your relationship, because I think in lots of relationships, because of the reasons you've just given, there isn't that balance. People assume a particular list of jobs. I take the bins out, you take the kids to school, and therefore you get absorbed in that. And some of those jobs carry way more equity than others. So remembering which bin it is, is not quite as challenging as remembering to pick up from school with a child with an allergy with an extra car seat. So have you got any tips for our listeners about how you can go about establishing that equitable conversation where you can make 
those things, you know, apparent to each other. Yeah. I think just one more thing to say on that that I've really noticed and uh, and be interesting to get your guys' view, and I'm, uh, hopefully your listeners will nod along, is not only do, you know, the statistic is 70%, women are picking up 70% of the emotional, in, in heterosexual relationships, but it, in heterosexual relationships, women do set up, take 70% of the invisible and yeah. emotional labor. The other thing that's really important around that is that word emotional labor. So what is interesting, it would be so interesting, I, I wonder on your app and platform what percentage, what's the gender break? Because when I ask people about this, 80% mm -hmm. of people consuming parenting knowledge, trying to learn how to handle feelings, learning about milestones are the mothers. And yeah. that takes an awful lot of time, energy, effort. You're learning something new, often when you're exhausted yeah. and yep. with the mental load. That also and our statistics would back that up completely. So we yeah, so it's completely huge. It's agree. huge. It's a really, really important part of the mental load that mothers are picking up. That also mm -hmm. means that when that two-year-old has a tantrum, it is that mother that will tend to step in and yeah. be using some of those skills that she's learning. Now, that's a new skill, emotional regulation. You and I know how much energy it takes <laughs> not to scream, just put your effing shoes on, but to say, <laughs> I can see you're really frustrated about your shoes. I get that. You know, that takes huge effort. And it also creates a chasm often between the partners because you mm -hmm. might have, let's say, let's, you know, let's just use mum and dad. Let's just use that generalization. You might then have a father who's, who storms and says, just put your effing shoes on. Then there's yeah. a tension because yeah. he's not read the book or been on your app that says how important it is to be able to validate an emotion. She now has to do that extra labor yeah. of teaching not only herself, not only putting it into action, she also has to teach her partner. Another good one is, and something I'm asked about all the time, is that children's journey to becoming a walker. Yeah, I loved us covering walking because I think it's that one skill that everybody recognises children do at different times. Yeah. And our message throughout the whole of our app is actually all the skills children do at different times. So I love that we've sort of anchored in on that one. But also the science behind walking and what yeah. comes first is really fascinating. So I enjoyed that too. I think one of the things that parents really love about our My First Five Years app is that we really break down the journey yeah. so that parents understand the little skills that lead up to the big skills. And I think with walking, that's no exception. There's lots of things they need to master before they're going to miraculously walk and run around the room. So Absolutely. chat us through some of that. So yeah, it's not just about the ability to use your legs. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things you need to have in place in terms of your cognitive brain development and your physical development that enable you to become a walker. Uh -huh. So broadly, they're around your gross motor development. So gross motor being those big muscle groups, those big body movements. And of course, to be able to stand up on your legs and make your legs operate, you've got to have a really strong core. You've got to develop the muscles and the tendons in your legs and all the cartilage. And those things take time as, as children are developing. There's also sensory development. So being able to feel the world around you, feel the floor underneath your feet. There's things around pressure, things like proprioception. So knowing how your body or where your body is in any given space and how you move. And then Fine motor development, which we often think about in terms of uh, fingers, but also fine motor development is in terms of toes as well. Yes, so, I learned that recently. Yeah. 
how you move your tools, mm -hmm. how you place your tools. And we often will be familiar with the term hand-eye coordination, but also foot-eye coordination exists. And that's about how your brain balances and coordinates what your feet are doing as well as your hands. Because if you think about it, there are all sorts of parts to your body with all sorts of muscles. And it's quite a complex thing to manage and maneuver. So babies are learning to do that. And once they get more ownership over that and things start to fit together and bodies develop, that's when walking begins to happen. But often walking doesn't have anything to do with legs and feet. Walking really starts with their brain and their core. I think I'm still learning to walk. I'm one of the <laughs> most clumsy people I know. And my body is full of bruises from things I walk into. So that's that whole proprioception piece, yeah. I think. Maybe it's slightly underdeveloped in my brain. I don't know, but I am so clumsy. Yeah, proprioception is fascinating. Of course, the proprioception is the thing that we lose. I'm not making any implications here at all, but the thing that you lose when you've had a drink. Or, oh, so My bruises do not come from when I've had a drink. I'm just but, talking generally. Yes, for adults, when we've had a drink or two and you kind of lose that ability to coordinate, that's mm -hmm. kind of the early proprioception because... Basically, proprioception is about your eyes, your ears, your brain, the physicality of a space. It's about your brain being clever enough to have surveyed the space and makes assumptions about what's behind you, what's underneath you. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are quite complex and involve your eyes and your ears and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when, as an adult, you might have had one or two small white wines, then your brain struggles to do all of that processing because it can only focus on one or two things, which is where you're likely to lose your balance or not see something or trip over. So for little children, they are just developing those skills. And mm -hmm. again, the more gross motor practice they get, the more those skills will develop, which is why often, and we mentioned it in the introduction, things like tummy time are really heavily promoted and rightly so, but there are also a lot of children that don't enjoy tummy time. But luckily there are lots of alternatives. I was gonna say there must be other ways to, to develop these muscles. Yes. I think it's really important to say that no two babies go on necessarily the same journey to becoming a walker. Mm -hmm. There are different stages in walking development that children will miss out compared even to their siblings. Partly that's due to their physical development, partly it's due to genetics, and partly it's due to the environment that they inhabit. So there isn't one guide to how a child will become a walker and you can tip off the steps as you go along. Yep. It'll be different for different children. But I think there's a fairly typical path and there's some fairly typical things that children skip as well. I think crawling might be one of them. Yeah, so some children will absolutely crawl. Interestingly, some children will walk and then crawl. Yes, so I've seen for, yeah, that. For children who miss out the crawling phase because of how their body is developing, they often will return to it once they can walk. And that's quite befuddling for some parents thinking, <laughs> I thought that bit came first. Yeah. And of course, there are a million different versions of crawling. There's commando crawling. There are children who crawl with one leg only. There are children <laughs> who go right flat on their stomach to crawl. The most common is the bum shuffler. Yep. So children who bum shuffle and you will get children who bum shuffle for long long periods of time and they don't ever some of them tip into crawling and then some of them do and then some of them will cruise and then some children cruising being where children are grabbing onto bits of furniture yeah. and holding on as they make yeah. their legs go and some just seem to go from bum shuffling to walking and it's just about their genetic makeup 
the experiences they've had within the environment and just where they are in terms of their development. So there's no one set thing that everybody should be doing. Take it back to babies, because I think what I find fascinating is how things layer on top of each other to eventually master a skill that a parent would recognise like walking. So what are some of the early things that babies will be doing to get their bodies and their minds ready? Well, you think about that little baby that you've got, and one of the earliest things they do is to do things that begin to lift their head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, you'll see it in, in lots of the baby books and your, your health professionals will talk to you about the fact that when you've got your baby, that they often will then begin to lift their head or turn their head. And that's mm-hmm. a very early development of that gross motor core that they're going to need to help them to walk. Mm-hmm. And then we see babies do things, especially when they're lying on their backs, of kicking out their legs or pushing out their arms. Yep. And again, this is them and their brain exploring how their body works. And they start with those really big muscle groups because they're big muscles and they're easier to move. But also we know that for little babies, there are things like cartilage and tendons that haven't yet developed in their little bodies. And some of those you need to be able to walk. And that will begin the development process as they grow, which is why some children can't walk before a certain age, because the actual physicality of their body has not developed yet. Just not ready yet, yeah. We also had a guest called Charlotte from Parents for Future. And she gave us some really interesting ideas about parenting in a sustainable way, but also a realistic way. Yeah, and also some brilliant tips just around what you can do as families to help the planet, but how you get that message across to very young children, which can be difficult. Yeah, that was a really good one. There's so many different ways that you could approach reducing waste but one thing I'd really like to stress is we definitely don't want to put additional stress on parents that are already really busy and maybe struggling and juggling um, but there are all simple things that we can do out there one of the key things I think from our perspective as that comes up again and again in our community is meal planning um, a little bit because children do create a lot of food waste. Um, It's natural. They don't always want to eat what they've been put in front of them. Um, And so planning out meals for the week is one way of us not wasting before they even get the chance to potentially um, leave a bit of food on the side of their plate. And then composting any leftovers, that's not always possible. I think... It's a really good point about food waste because we're talking about two things, I think. One is obviously when you've got very little children and they'll be going through things like weaning, there is going to be a lot of food waste because they're just getting used to tasting food and putting it in their mouth. So it tends to be some of it gets spat out, some of it ends up on the floor. And then there's that thing, and there are lots of statistics out there about how much we actually throw out from our fridges on a weekly basis. That never get touched or used. Yeah, and yeah. it's that that we're talking about here, the fact that if you can plan ahead then you are likely to reduce that waste down but if you have got you know a toddler who's weaning or a child that doesn't want to eat whatever you've put on their plate for whatever reason that idea of being able to compost it is a really good one and you can get those countertop composters Uh, we've had those in the past just for bits of kitchen waste if you're not going to do the big thing in your garden or your backyard or whatever you've got but there are lots of things you can do that are just small but actually do make quite a big difference yeah absolutely i think it's the Staff to the third of all food that's produced is now wasted, and which is horrifying, really. And so, Mm -hmm. anything that we can do, you know, 
thinking about the scraps that you've got left over and like literally thinking, right, can I compost it or can that just be thrown into some soup or something? I was just going to just gonna add to that, that um, during lockdown, I think I got the most inventive ever about food waste because all of a sudden it wasn't guaranteed that I could go to the shop and get what exactly. I wanted. And there was and more it, time. There was more time yeah. as well. But I remember even doing things like freezing milk and then using it later in a cheese sauce. It was crazy just how all of a sudden you can get inventive if you need to. And I guess what we're going to, what we're trying to do is prevent that need. It's one thing that the shops were struggling to resource in COVID, which was a, a one-off situation. But I guess what you're trying to get people to consider is that if big changes are not made, food shortages could be a, a real thing that, you know, whether it's our generation or the next generation yeah, are dealing with friends. on a daily basis. So this is the conversation that needs, needs to be had that are big and scary and, and do sometimes feel like almost unrelatable yeah but there's so many other ways as well i mean we think about the clothes that we are buying for children it they're growing so quickly as you said um thinking about maybe you know can we shop secondhand can we have a hand-me-down system within families a little bit more and try and move away from that always you know thinking oh does it have to be new can we think of other ways around this within our organization we do um We've got 25 local groups and there's quite often clothes swaps, Halloween costume swaps, thinking of just, you know, smaller ways where we could reduce waste. Then I think the plastic that goes into Halloween costumes in particular oh, is astronomical. It's so with yeah. that coming up this autumn, look out for some of those Halloween swaps. And it saves money as well, which again, we don't have yeah. to be, you know, in a cost of living crisis. Um, it's pretty good to be saving cash as well. Yeah. We've done some writing over the first five years about how much Halloween costumes are full of plastic, for one. The majority of the content is plastic, but also it tends to be a wear at once, unless you've got a family with multiple children, and then it goes into landfill because they're so mass-produced, they're really cheap to buy. And again, it's about that mindset of, oh, it's just cheaper just to go and buy one. So I, if I could sit and have to make whatever outfit for my child or I could just go to a supermarket and buy one for five ninety nine. but again well, I'm not suggesting that everybody sits and embroiders Halloween outfits but what you're saying is true go to the local charity shop ask around just it's I don't it's not about effort and it's again it's this idea that you know you're shaming people into not having make enough effort for the planet but we're not necessarily saying make your own costumes what we're saying is the little bit of effort is about can I source this from elsewhere and we've all had it where you buy the Halloween costume for the child they keep it on for 30 seconds and they get too hot or it's too itchy yeah and it's usually it's, itchy yeah, they, they stitch they them terribly <laughs> and most of them are flammable anyway which is not great for Halloween around all those candles or Christmas so yeah there's lots I think that we can do another aspect we talk about a lot in my first five years is, is toys and the fact that especially under five the amount of plastic toys that you get and again plastic toys can be great they can get some great value out of a plastic toy but most children tend to have way more toys than they need um, and that also ends up going into landfill Absolutely. when actually I mean a lot of the science around child development would say that children don't actually need toys at all in any way shape or form you can learn everything you need to learn that you can learn from a toy just by interacting with things that are in your cupboard and things that are in the outside environment mm -hmm. and again we're not saying we're going to ban all toys that's, that's <laughs> not what we're about but that idea of toy swaps toy libraries uh, donating to your local charity shop buying from your local charity shop all the thing that's going to reduce 
A, your expenditure, but B, that, you know, landfill. I'm seeing a real change around this as well with, you know, professional full-time working parents going and and using the whole sort of recycle thing. Mm -hmm. My uh, cousin, she's a a senior vet. She earns good money, I'm sure. But she posted up that she's bought um, like a rocking horse from Facebook, um, you know, for significantly less than a new one but also she's really proud to post that it's not got that stigma that it used to have and I think my eldest daughter now loves to shop vintage Mm -hmm. and I think by calling it vintage instead of shopping at the jumble sale as it used to be when I was a kid it's just about some of the language and reframing how people are thinking about it but she loves the quirky things that she can buy that way and and he's much prouder to buy something like that than buy the sort of really disposable fashion that's going on so I see the change around me but just not everywhere and then there was that time that we podcasted from your kitchen when we were joined by jimmy mclaughlin of jimmy's jobs of the future and that was the one where i thought it was coming to the apartment so i tidied up like a demon (laughs) and then found out it was online (laughs) but it was a really good podcast yeah and i had a tidy apartment (laughs) for the rest of the day And worth listening to as a parent, just because we discussed all the skills that children might need for jobs of the future. Of which we have no idea what they're going to be. And that was the whole point, really. True. So for anybody that hasn't caught your podcast, I mean, shame on them, but could you break <laughs> down your some of those jobs that we're talking about? These jobs that are that we, even as parents, can't quite imagine what they're going to be. I'm thinking back to when my boys were little, I mean, some of the things they do now, some of the places they work. If I go back to when I was little, even then it was a long time ago, ago. not that long ago, rude. (laughs) Uh, It was more, there were professions that you went in or even like my parents' generation, you know, there were things you trained for and you did, or you did shorthand typing or you did plumbing or that, or you became a teacher. Whereas now the digital world has opened up this whole universe of possibility. So what sort of things do you talk about on your podcast and how does that link to you know, new parents who are looking at their under fives and thinking, right, what can I give you that will help you to exist in that market? Well, I think it's very difficult, partly for schools, because the digital world just moves so fast, yeah. right? So, you know, you could have a, you know, a, a module on Instagram marketing and so on in sixth form, mm-hmm. but chances are, by the time they're out in the real world a year later, it would have all shifted on again anyway. So it's it's really hard, I think, on, on that side of things. I think the way that I try and explain it when I'm speaking to parents in particular of people that are trying to help their children in get into the job market right so it tends to be parents kind of in in the 50s perhaps Mm -hmm. is that there is a lot of language used around a lot of language when you look at jobs that you might not realize so one of my favorites of this is examples of this is UI UX designer which is essentially a kind of website developer and making a website look pretty and easy to use and primarily that is done to make people buy products Mm -hmm. so essentially what it is is actually being a shop front layout person so if you think of that kind of traditional sort of role that possibly probably wasn't a full-time job actually in a store necessarily that's it and so a lot of the jobs kind of you will be aware of the kind of mechanics of it, but there will just be a whole range of new tools now. And that's the sort of um, scary thing. And I think it's one of the things you talk a lot about on the podcast is sort of the resilience 
and adaptability being key for children because you can't know what they're going to be doing in 15 years time it's impossible to to do that but at the end of the day fundamentally most jobs in the UK are private sector jobs Mm -hmm. and in the private sector you need to be able to create a product for less than it costs you to sell it and you need to be able to get that product in front of people to be able to sell it that isn't going to change we know all about that don't we We do good basic (laughs) economics exactly right yeah you guys are doing are doing it right who would have who would have thought five years ago that you know using a podcast would be a way to to do that right um so yeah i mean it's so true we've both come from a really traditional background i was running uh, children's nurseries which was very much about the physical presence of people looking after other people's children and you um came from the school sector originally yeah. and now we're creating something totally online that hopefully can have an international impact and it's just a the scale of what we can potentially achieve using tech is so exciting but also a massive learning curve because we've gone from the real world to the to the online world and i think for our parents as well when you've got older children who are more secondary age then you are looking i think for schools that have a curriculum that actually promotes the things that you're talking about because still there are lots of the curriculum in the uk particularly especially for secondary age children that gives them lots of information that they're never going to use in life whereas really what they want is skills that are going to empower them to move into that world but again really like what you said about you know for younger children it's about giving them and fostering those early skills around things like resilience around things like curiosity which often don't come in a textbook they are the sort of things that come from the kind of experiences that they have all be those you know don't have to be necessarily visiting the british museum to have those experiences they can be in the park or fall out of your kitchen cupboard if you know what you're looking for Totally. Exactly that. And I know we've just said that we can't possibly look ahead and know what the world's going to look like, but Jimmy, you must have um, given this some thought. I mean, what do you think the jobs of the future are going to look like? Well, I think there will be a lot more kind of creativity jobs that are in play. I think that's going to become a bigger and bigger thing. I think the rise of communities will be a big thing as well. And it's really interesting what you guys are building with this and so on, that people We'll look to do that. I think we've only really just begun to scratch the surface of how communities will work kind of in an online world. But also I think, you know, there will be a rise of hobbies and kind of fitness is quite a big area. Like it's amazing when I go for my morning run around the park now, like the amount of classes that are kind of taking place there. I think that's going to be kind of a big growth area that you're going to see. So lots of positive and quite exciting um, jobs being created, I think. It's nice to hear you speak so positively because I thought you were going to go down a whole route of sort of computers are going to rule the world and we're all going to be unemployed. I mean, I guess there are different views about what that future might look like, but I certainly like the idea of the one you're painting there. Are we going to have more leisure time, Jimmy? Well, I think so. I mean, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because you sort of, in a way, we've never had as high technological advances as we do now and we've never really had higher employment um so i think there's a there's a bit of a challenge i am pretty optimistic about it that lots of jobs will be created i mean we've touched on it a bit already but social media 10 years ago didn't even you know exist really as a job and and now you know you have teams sort of dedicated to just managing a company's instagram or tiktok or, or whatever True. and it's yeah. and, and some of this stuff i think it's quite interesting from a parent's point of view because you can be quite sort of like negative about tiktok and uh, instagram and children spending too much time on it and i totally understand there is a whole sort of range of concerns there but you know tiktok for example is about 
being able to kind of communicate a message or a funny story in 40 seconds, yeah, that is actually one of life's important skills. It was a skill that I was taught a lot at school by teachers was how to get that point across and how to get it across quickly. I think we used to call it the elevator pitch, didn't we? Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? The kids would go, what's one of them? <laughs> but they're doing yeah, yeah. it all day, every day. Thanks so much for listening and sticking with us over the past year. If there's something you want us to talk about in future episodes, then let us know on Instagram or our Facebook community. You can find us at My First Five Years with the five written out. We've got loads of great content coming up in the podcast, mm. including our Christmas special, and we'll be speaking to no other than Everton and England footballer Tony yeah, Duggan. To that really one. can't wait for this one. She is the first women's Super League football player to take maternity leave. And we'll be talking to her about how you can be a parent and have a successful career and the additional challenges, I guess, that an elite sportswoman faces and tips around going back to work after your parental leave. For more parenting tips, you can download the My First Five Years app from the App Store. To get this podcast direct to your feed, just press that follow button in your Apple Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts. And share an episode you like with your friends in their WhatsApp group as that really helps us to spread the word. Yeah, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.